You're listening to High Temperature Times, your source for refractory news, information, and the best products in the industry. My name is Griffin Patterson, and I'm an application specialist with Harbison Walker International. It's chilly outside up in the Great White North, or at least it's supposed to be, so cold weather is a talk of the town. That said, nothing about the refractory industry is cold, so it might be easier to attribute the fires of industry with July than it would be with February. But there's one aspect of the industry where freezing occurs. Freeze planes. I'm not talking about slippery sidewalks or de-icing airplanes. I'm talking about areas where molten metal solidifies in the refractory. And to talk through the basics of it, designing linings with freeze planes in mind, and refractory selection relating to freeze planes, I'll be bringing in aluminum application specialist Mark Pomacino. But before we get to that, let's crack open a little ditty from the technical marketing inbox. As a reminder, if you've got a question for the podcast, reach out to us at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com and use the subject line podcast to be featured on the show. This month's question comes from Peter Carmen asking, I've got some cracking on the surface of my refractory. Is this a problem? And if so, what can I do about it? Thanks for the question, Peter. I think I've covered some of this here and there in historical episodes, uh, notably the one on refractory ceramic fiber, but this is a great question for the aluminum industry, given the molten metal's ability to squirrel its way even to the tiniest little cracks. Generally speaking, cracks less than an eighth of an inch thick will close off when you heat the vessel up. As the refractory gets hot, it's going to expand, making the cracks thinner and thinner until they're effectively not there anymore. In all likelihood, most of your cracks will go down that route. If your cracks are larger, you can dust them off to remove any debris that would prevent those cracks from sealing properly, stuff it with some refractory ceramic fiber, and then maybe paint it over with a thin layer of appropriate mortar or patching material. Refractory, it can be somewhat unsightly with its surface cracking at room temperature, but it shines brightest when it's hot and it will perform as such for you. Thanks again for your question, Pete. I look forward to getting another one next month. All right, Mark, welcome back to the show. Let's talk freeze planes. Hey, Griffin, you know, nothing warms my heart like talking refractories. (laughs) I think there are probably going to be a couple variables we need to lay out to get a good idea of what's going on. But let's start by just, you know, painting a picture. What vessels slash industries are we accounting for with freeze planes? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure our listeners can take a guess based on the fact that I'm talking with the aluminum application specialist. But are there others? Sure. I mean, any anything that holds molten metal or uh, a process that contains slag, uh, you're going to have to worry about freeze planes. How much you worry about the freeze plane really is is dependent on the viscosity of that corrosive material. So you got a refractory line vessel, you know, a couple thousand degrees on the inside, a couple hundred degrees on the outside. Refractory doing its job to make that happen. Mark, do you want to take a little trip with me and tell me what's happening with the vessel, the metal, the refractory as we travel from the hot face to the cold face? Sure. So, so I mean, a refractory's got two jobs in this world. One is to contain heat, and the other is to, to contain whatever's going on in the process inside the vessel or furnace. And so, as you move from the inside of the furnace where it's hot to the outside where it's cool, uh, there's a temperature drop or gradient across that thickness of refractory. You know, as that temperature drops, whatever you are melting or the slag that's in that furnace will eventually, the temperature will drop within the lining to a point where you are below the freezing point of that, that metal or slag. And then that, that corrosive medium solidifies. Uh, What's important there is that once that corrosive medium solidifies, it can no longer interact or react with the refractory. So, you know, this is all a theoretical kind of uh, endeavor at first, 
but it starts to get real once you have a crack through a refractory lining. So even if based on viscosity or the structure of the refractory, the material inside the furnace doesn't want to penetrate through the poor structure of the refractory, if there's damage to the refractory, a crack that extends uh, into a depth in the lining, if that crack um, extends beyond the freeze plane, then that corrosive uh, medium metal slag uh, will penetrate up to that point in the lining. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and to go back to your, like the two roles of refractory to, to contain the heat and to contain the process, we typically aligning will have two different types of products in it to do so. So to contain the process, you'll be using oftentimes a, a much more dense refractory. And then behind that to contain the heat, you're going to be using a more insulating refractory. Um, and, and a really big point there is that if you look at a thermal profile that has a, a two component lining, a, a lightweight backup and a dense hot face, the temperature drop is, is quite small across most den dense materials. Like you'll be dropping from say, you know, 1900 degrees to 1700 degrees or something like that across the, across whatever inches of, of dense hot face. And then you'll be dropping a thousand degrees through whatever inches of the, of the, the lightweight backup. So you got to take that into account for, for measuring your freeze planes as well. Oh, sure. I mean, there's this very natural trade-off between those two things that are a refractory uh, is designed for. And so the more you insulate a furnace, the better job you do at containing the heat, it increases that kind of average temperature and makes the, the temperature gradient across the hot face refractory shallower. So there's more heat being contained in the hot face so that you have less temperature drop so that anything inside the furnace that wants to penetrate the refractory lining can go further because the temperature is higher throughout the refractory lining. You have to get to a greater depth in the refractory before you get to a temperature below that freeze plane. Yeah. So reeling that back in, you know, the, the, the freeze plane, it can be described as the depth within the lining at which the expected temperature equals the solidification temperature of the molten metals, aka the freezing temperature for the metal. I know it, it really jumbles your brain with the colloquialism of freezing and the scientific term of freezing. That's kind of the whole joke we have going with the title of the podcast episode. Anyway, <laughs> what depth do we typically target here in aligning design? Sure. What, you, what you're typically looking at is maybe halfway to three quarters of the way through that hot face lining. And when we say the hot face lining, this would be dense refractory that is designed specifically to minimize corrosion with whatever your process chemistry is. So that material that, that's designed to contain the process, you want that corrosive medium to freeze off one half to three quarters of the way through the lining. So a good rule of, rule of thumb, split the difference and say two thirds of the way through the lining. You want to be a little safer, design for a half or less. If you want to be a little bit more aggressive, or if you're, you want to err on the side of insulating the furnace a little bit more, you aim for, for three quarters. Yeah, I guess that really takes us to the to the consideration of wear and, and the risk that, that that potential wear can bring. You know, if, if corrosion, erosion reactions remove a certain thickness of the lining, that distance between the molten metal and the backup or safety lining will decrease. So you don't, we don't want the vessel to truly wear away all of your dense material, lest you risk a leak, right? That, that's exactly right. And, and, and so when you go and design for a freeze plane and you think about, you know, furnace performance as a function of lifetime, 
you have to consider that the lining is wearing away. And so when you go and model those things and think about them, yeah, you might have an 18 inch thick lining at the beginning of the lifetime of a furnace, maybe, you know, 14 inches of hot face material and four inches of, of backup, let's say. But you know, at some point in that lifetime, in that furnace's uh, lifetime, that that hot face lining is only going to be instead of 14, it's going to be 12 inches, 10 inches, nine inches. And then what happens to the freeze plane? You start to get into the, the situation where you now have reactive chemical species, molten metals in contact with, with your backup lining. I mean, one of the things I come across in, in foundries fairly often is, is the, the measure of risk is do we better insulate a vessel by using, say, an IFB, or do we mitigate risk behind the hot face by using something like a fire clay brick? Um, because then if you get a leak, you buy a little more time, right? How much more time does that buy you? Well, it could be considerable. I mean, if you can think about the backup lining as kind of your insurance policy, and, and you know, sometimes in the aluminum business for really for furnaces that melt, you know, really low melting temperature alloys that have the tendency that because of the freeze plane is so much lower, they naturally want to penetrate further back into the refractory lining. Maybe we take that backup lining and make it a really high performance insulating lining. So some of the products like our, our Armor Tech Middleweight, our Armor Lights that have really superior aluminum corrosion resistance and insulating capability, you start to design with them as your backup uh, so that then if you do have the situation where a furnace upset increases the temperature and allows that molten metal to penetrate even further back into the lining, you have a more corrosion resistant, resilient material back there. Yeah. And I guess really adding to that, the freeze planes come in mind again, because suddenly your, your thermal gradient from your, you know, now you only have say four inches of, of lining between the hot face and the cold face. Your thermal gradient is steep. So you're going to be hitting that freeze plane and yeah, it's going to keep wearing away, but you're going to be hitting that freeze plane. And as long as you don't wear it away by using, like you said, a wear resistant material, then it is buying time. You're right. So before I get into the tougher questions, do you want to take a second to talk about how you determine freeze planes and develop lining configurations that keep them in mind? Sure. You know, it, it's pretty straightforward math. I mean, there are equations that describe, you know, how the temperature drops across a refractory lining. It's kind of a one-dimensional problem. And so Harbison Walker has a, a, a really slick piece of modeling software called Heat Transfer that allows you to model those temperature drops across multi-component linings. So you can vary thicknesses, you can vary materials, vary configurations. And uh, with a couple of clicks of the mouse, you can go and calculate those freeze planes. So what used to take you, you know, hours doing these calculations by hand, um, you know, now can be done extremely quickly, extremely accurately. So you can really design specific lining configurations that kind of balance the energy savings and, and the safety and performance by considering the freeze plane. Yeah, that heat transfer software really makes uh, makes thermodynamics easier. It sure <laughs> Just does. Just a couple clicks of the mouse. You can play around with it, you know, mixing things around, uh, different different features like ambient temperatures and vessel temperatures. Click, you know, for the freeze plane and, and state the, the freezing temperature of your metal. Um, it's uh, heattransfer.thinkhwi.com. I'll drop a link in the description so you can click from there, sign up, and, and play around with it. It's honestly, I, it's a lot of fun. It was like one of the first things when I started with a company, I got to just play around and learn about, you know, lining configurations and what that means. 
<laughs> Unlike in college, it makes heat transfer kind of fun. <laughs> All right, no more Mr. Nice Guy. I got some some more thinker questions for you. Uh, it sounds like there are two main concerns here, one rooted heavily in all industries and one more tied to reactions. The first is you don't want the molten metal to penetrate into the backup or safety lining. We spoke on that earlier. The other is maybe more related to material penetrating into the refractory and causing reactions that can promote spalling. Can you tell me a little bit more about how in the aluminum industry, those reactions related to penetrated metal can be problematic? Sure. I mean, the the transport of the metal back into the refractory isn't such a big deal unless unless it starts to react with the refractory. And so in aluminum in particular, um, you know, the molten aluminum will want to react with any free silica in the refractory. Uh, to, it reduces the, the silica to silicon metal and forms aluminum oxide. So actually more aluminum oxide in your refractory. You think, oh, that might be good, but it's expansive. So those reactions will go and disrupt the structure and cause the refractory to spall and allow molten aluminum, which we all know is as fluid as water, even more fluid than water, to penetrate back to that depth in the lining. But even if you have a really corrosion resistant uh, refractory, the aluminum metal, if it gets into the backup lining and encounters any oxygen from the furnace atmosphere or that is transported through the pores of the refractory, even from, say, the upper sidewall, that 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 aluminum metal wants oxygen so bad, it, it'll react with that oxygen. It's an expansive reaction, forms corundum, starts to, to, to grow inside the refractory lining. So when we, we talk about corundum growth, you know, that can happen independent of reaction with the refractory. But if it starts, it's, it's still just as disruptive and can start to grow within the refractory and grow um, throughout a, an aluminum furnace. So I, I, I'm guessing you get more of that corundum reaction at that at that line the the air liquid solid interface at the top of the bath that's right and so thinking about the freeze plane and what's going on right at that that interface is is especially important you know i I see similar things in in one of my industries with slag penetration um so not aluminum penetration but but slag molten slag will penetrate into the lining and it in in our case it it causes these low melting eutectics that more readily erode from the walls and then you know it, it exposes new lining to accelerate that in our case we need to prevent the slag from penetrating so deep because the temperatures are so high we can't afford to force a freeze plane closer to the surface the shell would just be too hot in that case but for aluminum it sounds like you're trying to take steps to formulate refractories that simply won't have those reactions that's right it's more about chemical reactivity than actual low melting eutectic phases because you know aluminum melts so much lower than you know ferrous metals that you're talking about in the foundries so does refractory selection affect lining consideration as it pertains to the freezing off of aluminum or the freeze plane i mean like to put it another way does a top-tier aluminum-resistant refractory like Armatech give you a different approach to the freeze plane of refractory than, I don't know, like maybe a, a less aluminum-resistant refractory to throw something crazy out there like a fire clay material? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of two, two things to think about. For one, in, in particular with our, our Armatech family of products, because they're 65% aluminum materials that perform as well or better than 80 to 85% aluminum materials, you get an added bonus that with the lower alumina content, you have lower thermal conductivity. And so you have a little bit more insulating refractory 
and a little bit better thermal efficiency. And, and you, you, as a bonus, that means, you know, because we're a little bit more insulating in the hot face, that freeze plane is going to be closer to the hot face of the material, i.e. it's going to be shallower. Um, but when you have a very corrosion resistant material, it's kind of like an insurance policy because furnaces don't always operate at nominal temperature. And so if you have a furnace upset and you're 200 degrees higher than, than average, aluminum metal will penetrate further back into the refractory, independent of where you designed the freeze plane to be. And so when you have a, a very corrosion resistant refractory, even if the metal penetrates, you have a much better chance of it not reacting and causing real disruption to the re- to the refractory lining. I mean, the big the big problem happens when you know the refractory starts to starts to react. So in essence, what you can do as a designer is, if you want a little bit more thermal efficiency and want to kind of cheat the freeze plane a little bit deeper, do that with the highest grade corrosion resistant refractories, both in the hot face and as the backup materials. And we see that we're starting to see this a lot more in aluminum as, you know, in order to, you know, have higher efficiency furnaces, lower carbon footprint, use less natural gas, the tendency is to want to insulate a furnace more. And so that's going to push that freeze plane deeper into the lining. If you want that high efficiency, uh, low carbon footprint furnace, you want to have, use the most corrosion resistant refractories to, to enable that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, so, so, what do you do there? I mean, especially with these these drives that have more thermally efficient vessels, do you just have to change the thickness approach for your for your lining configuration, or do you go in with you know you mentioned the the middleweight material? You go in with that well, first and foremost. Well, a lot of times, I mean, what you have to do is is that typically a, a backup material. Sometimes it's there for insulating capabilities, but sometimes it's just in there to to have a more economical option. You think of the 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 backup material as having you know a comprom more of a compromise between the price and the performance. So if you're going to have a, a well insulated furnace, uh, you better upgrade those refractories in that backup lining to maximize your corrosion resistance, because otherwise you're going to risk and compromise the longevity of that furnace or even the safety. If heaven forbid that aluminum metal makes it all the way back to the shell and outside of the furnace. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like like compounding risk. I mean, you, you mentioned the occasional spikes in temperature. Now, if you have something with a more insulated vessel where your where your mean temperature is is much higher, then if you do get a spike, your freeze plane is going to be so much deeper. And that I mean that that's that's two problems overlapping each other. That's right. It, it, it's quite complicated, and and there's no there's nothing free in this world. There's no free lunches, and um, if if you want that insulate really well insulated furnace, if you want to run the furnace hard and melt aluminum fast and have higher temperature baths, uh, it's time to upgrade those refractories. So I, I mean I know it seems like a pretty simple scientific uh, idea freeze planes but you know we talked about a couple of the the various knock-on effects and how it relates to refractories and and furnace performance i feel like is you know is there something i'm missing here is there anything else that 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 freeze planes relate to with us that you thought like that you'd like to talk about um i think we've covered a lot of it a lot of it griffin um you know it's there are complex interrelated effects and um you know, really understanding a customer's a customer's needs and, and how they want that furnace to perform 
not just at average, you know, not just at nominal, but how it's going to perform at the extremes is really important if, if, if we want to create the most value and have the most reliable and, and safe designs for our customers. Yeah, I think this is really one of those cases where the further you drill into it, the more you realize that it's not a simple white paper or podcast episode. It's really a conversation, right? You need to you talk with the customer. You need to talk with talk with the refractory supplier. You need to know how these things are going to work together with both of your experiences, with both of your expectations from both the vessel performance and the refractory performance. And, and that's really where success happens. 100% agree. Well, all righty then. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for joining in again. <laughs> so many aspects of the refractory consuming world look at containing solid material at high temperature, or maybe gaseous products at high temperature. So this topic was certainly foreign to those style vessels. However, containing molten metals or slags are hugely important and understanding freeze planes is critical to that. So thank you again for, for walking through that with me. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about freeze planes, our heat transfer app to determine freeze planes in your lining or any of the products mentioned in the show, please do reach out to us at tactical-marketing at thinkhwi.com. In the meantime, stay frosty out there, but not too frosty. And as always, thanks for listening.